Cobb. Thanks so much, Mr. Tony, for, for doing that, for blessing us with that. Uh, but if you would, please go ahead and open up uh, to Matthew chapter 15. And we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18 this morning. And let me go ahead and just uh, preface anything that I say uh, that un- understand this, that this is my, my heart this morning because I think that this needs to be clarified. I am not up here as the pastor. I am up here as a pastor. God has called me here as a pastor. And uh, I would not be doing my job if I did not try to shepherd in some way, just to help, just to help, um, because I know that we are going through a difficult time. So that's my heart. That's all I am here for. And if I can help us through this time, I'll be glad to do it. So I'm just simply a servant here this morning. But uh, I also know, too, there's a lot of things that, that we need to kind of talk about, and there's a lot of things that could be said, but what actually should be said. And so that was part of my prayer. For, for this week. Well, what, what actually needs to be said? And, and, and I don't even know if I'm going to be able to even say everything that needs to be said, but I know there was at least something that, that I needed in my heart was just to make sure that I knew and understood exactly what is the church actually really about? How do we at least get back to at least some semblance of, of, of direction, at least in, in mind, even as we work through all of the things, right? Because there's still lots to kind of work through, lots to kind of think about, like, right? But how do we do that? Well, we need to at least try to focus ourselves in on the most important things, the central things. And so this morning, we're going to look at literally this thing called church and what that just simply means. And actually, part of the passage that, that we're going to be going through is exactly what uh, Pastor Kenny shared with us last week. Um, they did a great job just kind of un- unpacking. So let's go and just look at that, first of all. And, uh, and again, this is Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 13 through, through 18. Uh, guys, I'm going to trust you all to work, work the slides for me because uh, that thing keeps screwing up all, all the time, and I don't want to fumble over it, so I'm so sorry. But anyway, this is what, what we're going. So we're going to take this uh, kind of one slide at a time, and I'm, we're going to read a little bit, and I'll talk like a little bit, kind of help give, give some, some context. But first of all, it says this. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? So we're going to go ahead and stop there. Um, first of all, go, go and go back if you can. Caesarea Philippi was one of those areas that uh, was kind of like Samaria, where like good Jews didn't actually go through that, that region. For him to actually go to Caesarea Philippi, this was actually like the no-no, in Jesus, one of the biggest no-nos of Jesus' ministry. He was not supposed to leave them there because good Jews did not do that. It was so much more than just like, well, we don't want to be associated with that. It's actually we don't even want to get close to this area where because this was one of the centers of pagan worship. And where he led them was this place, you know, and in, 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 as Pastor Kenny showed, uh, it was basically a temple that was dedicated to the goat god Pan where they would worship in all kinds of terrible ways, you know, from, from sexual things to, like, sacrificial things to, to other stuff, and all kinds of junk would, would happen there that would go completely against what God desires for his people and also what should actually be, be done. And it was a center for this pagan worship. So the fact that he even led them there, he's like, well, there's going to be a point to me doing this. 
And so that's already setting the stage. Like, and, and listen, put yourself into the, into the lives of the apostles whenever he's heading them there. They know where they're going. They're like, are we really going there? And, and they keep making that turn. They're like, this goes directly towards that. Yep, yep, yep. It looks like we're still going there. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, you know, uh, and then he stops. And I'm sure they were like, what in the world are we doing here? What is this all about? All right, uh, so verse 14, go ahead. It says, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Because he asked them that question, what do people say that I am? But then we see in verse 15, uh, he goes on and says, but who do you say I am? It's like, I'm glad that you're aware of what everybody else is saying, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, who constant foot and mouth disease, right? Doesn't always get it right, right? Like, you know, we totally relate to Peter, but here he knocks it out of the park. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. I always kind of take that as like a little bit as like, Bless your heart, Peter. You couldn't figure that out on your own. You're just not smart enough, buddy. Uh, God had to give, give that to you. Otherwise, you wouldn't have got it. But, but you did get it. But just know that it came from God. But by my Father who is in heaven. Came from, directly from God. A word from God. This is exactly how we, we understand this revelation at all. And then verse 18, the biggest thing that we're going to focus on. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it let's go and pray really quick and prepare our hearts for his word heavenly father thank you God for this morning thank you God again for the power of your word and pray that this morning we would just simply listen have our hearts open because your holy spirit anytime your word is shared is not there just for information it's there for transformation it's there to move your people towards the place closer to where they need to be even if we're already headed there You want us a step closer, a step farther in our walk with you. And I pray that this morning it would be no different, especially as we try to do that together. So God, we love you. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, just a few quick things since that all of you had this extra hour of sleep. um, I think it's good for us to maybe have a little bit of school time. Is that okay? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. You know, it, it, this, this part's kind of boring, but if you can just stick, stick with me. Uh, first of all, we need to kind of break down kind of what Jesus said here. And, and, and last week I heard a little bit about this, but uh, go ahead. First of all, uh, the word Peter is the Greek word Petros. That's the, the formal name, but it's also just the basic name given for the Greek meaning just rock or stone. Okay, so that's, and you guys know that, right? You kind of hear that. And Jesus said, you are Peter, you are rock or stone. He says, but on this rock, and so go go ahead, next slide, the Petra is what he says. He changes things. Jesus did not forget what he was saying. He did not forget who he was talking to or what tense he should use. He used these words on purpose. That's the great thing about the Greek language. It is way more specific than English language, right? Like you hear like human language talk, like, like we can't even get each other's text right, can we? It's like, well, what did you mean by that? Like, you know, kind of thing. Like, like we misinterpret all kinds of stuff. Thankfully, Greek is way more specific 
and leads way open, or, or, or leads it less open to human interpretation because it's, it narrows things down so much greater. Probably one of the reasons why you know, God chose that as one of the given languages for his word. But it means immovable rock. In some variations, foundation. It says you were just this little pebble, but on that statement that you gave, what you just said, the fact that I am the Messiah, I am the son of the living God, and I will build my church upon that statement, upon that foundation, that immovable rock. You, Peter, are very movable. In fact, we'll see that here in just a little bit. Whenever I'm in the garden and all this, like you're, you're going to be very movable. You know, all the disciples very movable. You, you and I very movable, right? But on that truth of me as the Messiah, the one who's going to come and set all things right through my death on on a cross, immovable. The very foundation. And he says, I will build my church. Well, the Greek word for that, next, next slide, is ecclesia, which means gathering or assembly for a purpose, more specifically. And so whenever he's unpacking this, whenever he's talking about this, he's talking about, I will build my church. If that's what the Greek word means for church, ecclesia, gathering, assembly, does that mean building? Does that mean physical place? Does that mean a monument for people to look at and to clap at and go, oh, that is so beautiful? What is he saying that he's going to build? An entire like, nation full of these buildings? No, right? Although, you know, we, we need a place to gather, don't, don't we? Like, like we need buildings? Praise God for them, right? Absolutely. I'm not knocking that at all. But that's not what he said he was coming to build. He says, I'm coming to build my church, my gathering my people. So whenever we put that in, in, in our brains, understanding that essentially this is what Jesus is saying is the thing that he's coming to do. It's not a thing. It's not part of the thing. It's not like part of the, of the package. He says on that statement, the fact that I am the Messiah, the one who will die for the sins of all humanity, and only through me can you get to the Father, which he clarifies again in John 14, 6, right? Like he says that. It's like that's the foundation for it all. There's nothing else. And he says, only on that will I build my church. He says, this is the very mission and why I came. Now, he does lots of other things too. He heals, he blesses, right? He fills people full of joy. He heals marriages. He works on attitudes, right? Like he does lots of work within our hearts and everything like that. But what is his number one thing? What's his overall purpose? It's to build the church, to build his people. So then thinking about that, it's like, okay, but then what about us? Where, where, where's our part in this? What is our role in this? And so just kind of think about that. There's just some things I think we can kind of glean from what we just read and kind of pull from to say this is what we also ought to be about as well. Just to kind of just encourage us this morning as we're working through all the things that, that, that we're working through individually, but then also as a church. So go ahead. Um, uh, essentially, the next, next slide there, please. How do we fulfill the mission then? How do we fulfill the mission? Because he says, this is what I'm about. This is my mission. Then how are we to be a part of it? 
Well, if, in fact, it is not a building that he came to build, if it is, in fact, not several buildings or, you know, denominations of, of buildings, I did not come to do that, right? He says, I come to build a people, then therefore, we need to understand the very first thing that we cannot. Number one is this. In order for us to fulfill the mission, we have to understand who we are, that we are the church. So you and I, in order to help fulfill this mission, we actually have to start being the church and understand what that means. We are being the very thing that Jesus said, I am coming to build. Isn't that weird to kind of think about? Like we are that. Like we are actually the byproduct of what the disciples were taking from that first century and started to create. This building was not the byproduct, right? Because this building can, can fall at, at any time, right? Not, not literally. Okay, so don't freak, freak out. Okay, all right. Scratch that. It's not, it's not falling. It's totally safe. I'm so, I'm so, so sorry. I'm just saying it, it could, right? It's possible, right? It could happen because it's a building. But what about his people? Oh, well, that's, that's totally different. That's God's Spirit indwelling all of us. It says we are actually the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is no longer dwelling in these little sanctified little areas of a tabernacle, of different tents, and all these kinds of things. It is made abundantly clear that veil has been torn from, from top to bottom. We are those who dwell, or we are the indwelling of God's Spirit. It is inside you, it is inside of me, if in fact we are in Christ Jesus. The Spirit is there. So we are what he came to build. So therefore, our attitude needs to constantly be, as part of this mission, I am part of what he is building. Not buildings, not structures, it's people. Because then we understand, oh, he cares way more about humanity than he does building policies and codes. He cares way more about my heart and your heart than he does about what we can create even amongst all this stuff, all these pews. And it's so great that we have pews with padding. I praise God for that every single Sunday. It is great because I've sat in churches where it's not that case, and it is so hard to be comfortable. I praise God for AC, for, for, for heat, you know, for, for all that stuff. All that stuff is great. I praise God for indoor plumbing. And listen, can you find any of that within the Bible? No, but I praise God for it, right? Like, it is awesome. I praise God for, for you know, our sound team you know, and, and the lights and, and, and all the stuff, all the things that, that make worship possible. I praise God for the structures that we have for all of our different ministries, right? All those things that make kids' ministry happen for that whole wing down there. You know, I praise God for that. All those different rooms where kids get to, to meet and hear about the Word of God. It is awesome. It's incredible. I praise God for the student area. I praise God for the social hall, especially because that's where food takes place. It is awesome. It is so great. But that's not what Jesus came to build. He came to build you and me. His church. And so whenever we understand I am part of this mission, I am not a part of even bringing people necessarily into this building so much, even though God can use this building, right? I'm bringing people into his gathering of people because that is the game changer. When people connect with us, when people connect with you, when people connect with me, that's the game changer. Yes, they had great facilities, and thank God they were clean. Praise God for Tony Ford. That man knocks it out of the park all the time. 
keeping this building clean. I love it. It's great. And people might connect with that as soon as they walk in. Oh, it, it's got a good smell. Not that normal old church smell. You know what I'm talking about? And that might connect with them, but that's not going to change them. What changes them is whenever they connect with people, not because we're so awesome, but because the Holy Spirit indwells within us. Because we're who he came to build. So that's where our heart needs to be. Live out the reality of who we are, who God actually dwells in. But then number two, we have to understand we need to help build the church then. I mean, new addition onto this church building, all this kind of stuff? Well, maybe if that's, if that's the by, byproduct of it, but that's not what that's talking about, right? And so this means whether we're actually inside these walls or outside these walls, this is part of our mission too, because we just recognize, he said, I will build my church, right? But then he also goes on, he tells Peter, and he tells on others, he's like, you need to be a part of this work as well. He says, feed my sheep. He says, do this, go out, make disciples of all the nations. He's, he's telling us to go and do all of these things. In Matthew 28, 19 through, through 20, we understand that this is what he has called us to do, to be a part of this building. We recognize he is ultimately the builder, right? But we are the instruments and the tools that he chooses to use. He says, therefore, go and make disciples, not just converts, but actually disciples. But that's part of the process. We've got we've to get them converted. They've got to come. They've got to go and do that, right? Like, like they, they do that. And then that starts that discipleship process where they start to grow in their faith and come to know Jesus even more. And he says, not just of the ones that you like and that you, you know, want to care about. He says, of all the nations, everybody out there. He's not limiting it to, to anybody. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So, yes, he cares about this discipleship process. He cares about us being part of that and commands us, commissions us to be a part of that. But then also we see throughout the book of Acts, there's a huge narrative there, and it just keeps popping up time and time and time again of what he's actually about in this building process. And so he says in Acts chapter 2, verses 47, he says, And the Lord added to the, uh, their number daily those who were being saved how often was he adding to that number once a week only on sunday because that's the only time you can do it whenever they can come hear the preacher right because it's up it's up it's up to the pastor it's up to my sunday school teacher and he said daily how do you think that was happening were they meeting in some public place every single day for group corporate worship maybe some you know yeah absolutely but how do you think that was actually really happening? People being the church, being a part of the mission themselves, helping individually and corporately to help build the church. But if you, you know, you know, we, and we want to always say that, yes, does God care about you know, quality as much as quantity? Does he care about you know, you know, each individual and we don't need to be about numbers and all this stuff? That is absolutely 100% true. We have to be about that. But we also see in Scripture, he's a great fan of numbers. Because the more numbers that there are of people who are a part of that family, that's less people who are dying and going to hell. And so we have to realize there is a sense of urgency in that. 
And we have to understand it doesn't necessarily mean that we all become mega churches and all this kind of stuff like that. That's not what I'm talking about either. I'm talking about actively being a part of that. If nobody even comes to the church because of our action, they end up going somewhere else, still praise God because they're in the kingdom of God. They're no longer on their way to hell. We don't care. But if they end up here, hey, that's awesome too. We got room, right? And if we don't, we'll make room because the kingdom needs to get bigger, not our comfort level. Because that's what it's all about. Because again, we, we see in several scriptures, go ahead, all of these scriptures just in the book of Acts alone are all about the adding of numbers on any level to the kingdom of God, to Christ's work. Every single one of those. It says he, he's adding to their numbers and the number increased. And even in a couple occasions, specific numbers because somebody counted because they cared. 3,000 numbers. 5,000 in numbers. And that wasn't the case every time, right? But anytime God's people are a part of God's mission, being the church and helping build the church, it's God who brings that increase and he can't help but keep doing his work because he just wants to see people not go to hell. So we need to be about that as well. But one of the biggest things that we need to make sure is number three, that we fully understand in order for us to be able to fulfill the mission, we have to keep unity around the message and the mission. Because what did Jesus share? Did he give details about, you know, like, well, how to exactly do that and all the methodology behind it and whether it should be done in this style of worship or that style of worship and this color sanctuary with that kind of carpet, with, with this? Did, did, did he add all of that stuff to it? He said, no, no, no. He said, it's because what you said is the very foundation, Peter, that I am the Messiah. I am the son of the living God, period. Anything else is secondary. Anything else doesn't actually matter as much. Now, a lot of it matters, right? You know, a lot of it does make a difference. And it can shape our theology. It can shape the way that we, we believe. But if somebody has that down, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the only Son of God, and He is the only way to heaven, and we can only come to Him through the grace that He has given, we do not earn it, right? As long as that's it, then they are they our brother and sister in Christ? Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. That's it. Oh, but they, but they worship differently. So? They dress differently whenever they worship. So? They worship in this kind of building. So? Because that kind of stuff changes all the time, right? This looks completely different than what the first century did. This, this looks completely different than what the second century did, than what the third century did, than what the fourth century did. This looks nothing like it, and praise God for it, because if that was the case, we would not have that wonderful air conditioning, right? You know, we would not have indoor plumbing. Praise God for that, right? Like, you know, we would not have all the things that, that, that help just get rid of those uncomfortable distractions, but it's not the main thing, is it? The main thing is the message. Jesus, he's the Christ. And the mission, build the church. It's all on Jesus, build his church. It's all on Jesus, build his church. It's pretty simple, isn't it? We're the ones who complicate it. We're the ones who kind of get off track. We're the ones who are going to do that. So unity doesn't necessarily mean having the same opinion about everything. It just means staying united around the things that matter most. Let me go ahead and say that again. It's not about 
us agreeing and having the same individualistic opinion on everything, but staying united around the thing that matters most. Because if we don't, we could be divided about everything, couldn't we? Right? Because we've got opinions about everything. And listen, we're entitled to those opinions. Whether they're right or wrong, whether you see it as right or wrong, it doesn't matter. If it's outside of the counsel of God's word, it is up for human debate. Now, thankfully, God's word covers all the stuff that's necessary, right? All the stuff that, that matters most, right? But there's nothing in here about the color of the carpet in the sanctuary, is there? But buddy, we can get bent out of shape about it, can't we? Well, I think, I think that's ugly. Well, that's what you think. That's, that's great. Um, the next slide. Big opinions. <laughs> Big old opinions about this, right? Like this is separated families, you know? Lots of opinions. Uh, the truth is, honestly, the last 10 years... As far as, you know, like the rivalry, it's not really been much of a rivalry, okay? Let's just be honest, okay? I know we got a lot of game, Gamecock fans. That's, that's great. I, I, I feel you. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a North Carolina boy. Um, so that's, that's, that's where I was born. I'm an NC State fan, okay? So I have no dog in this fight. I don't know my team's not great or, or anything, you know, but I'm just saying, of course, they are ranked, uh, but I'm just saying, uh, <laughs> but these two teams, I have no opinion on, not no, not really. Sometimes if I'm a, hanging around a Gamecock fan, I'll give them a hard time. You know, well, you know, what about that game coming up? You know, brother, you know kind of thing, kind of give them, give them a hard time. You know, if I'm talking to a Gamecock fan, just talking about like, yeah, when, when's the last time y'all, y'all, y'all won against Clemson? I, I don't know. I kind of lose count. You know, kind of thing like, you know, how many championships did y'all get? Okay, anyway, all right. So, um, you know, you just kind of just do that. That's all opinion, Right? You even see it in people's yards, on their cars, house divided, right? And, and you're like, oh, that's actually like a, a really divided house. Actually, what they're doing is they're calling out what they understand is not a big deal. Yeah, we've got a Clemson fan and a Carolina fan living underneath the same roof. And we're married. And we're making it work. You know why? Because it doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't. No, no, actually it doesn't, right? Because it's not, it's not the main thing. Listen, we can have an opinion about all kinds of things. And it can sometimes cause friction, can it? You, you want to think some people that have these strong opinions don't have friction? But you can have friction without having separation. You can have friction without having division. And that's what God is looking for. Because I'm not giving you all the answers. There's some stuff that you, as my people, as, the, as what I'm trying to build, you're going to have a difference of, of opinions. But you're going to have to come back to the main thing. Otherwise, you'll never fulfill the mission that I've given you. Because it's not just Clemson, Carolina. You've got uh, Chick-fil-A versus Popeyes. I mean, do you all remember that? Okay, uh, That was just like last year. Coke versus Pepsi. I'm a Pepsi guy. I know I am woefully out, outnumbered. I don't care. I, I, that's, that's my opinion. But it would be wrong for you to say, well, I just can't believe that you don't like Coke. Well, why? That's my opinion. You don't have to agree with it. Opinions are like belly buttons. Everybody's got one, right? Uh, you know, some people aren't afraid to share theirs. <laughs> just go to a beach, okay? Uh, some some people are, are weird, right? Sometimes 
over time, they change. This is a really gross analogy, isn't it? I'm so sorry. But you don't have to like everybody's either. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. But they're entitled to it. But what unites us? Well, all those little things have, have to be, no, no. And sometimes, and, and that, that's why we have denominations. It's because it comes down sometimes to those hard-button issues where it's just hard to get on to the same page. So instead of keeping the house divided, they're like, you know what? Let's just choose to not worship together. And that's the nice way to put it, right? But that happens. And it happens with individuals. It happens with churches at a whole. That's why there's church splits and, and all kinds of things that happen, right? But you can actually choose to not necessarily worship with somebody, but still understand there's still love there. Just because they're Presbyterian and they're down the road meeting in, in a different building, they claim the name of Jesus. He's the only way to heaven. Salvation by grace alone. That's our brothers and sisters. That Methodist church, as long as they claim to that, that's our brothers and sisters. We can still love them. And we all still have the same mission, right? Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Absolutely nothing has changed. So unity, unity can still be achieved even with a difference of opinions. Because there's always going to be a difference of opinions. You do realize, you know, if there's like, 10 Baptists in a room, you've got 16 different opinions, right? <laughs> I say that jokingly, but it's true, because even sometimes we don't even understand what we think we understand. Sometimes, like, somebody just speaks up. They're the loudest person in the room. We're like, yeah, yeah, that's it, you know? And, like, whenever we walked in, we didn't even know what we cared or what, what, what we thought. And if anybody else would have spoke up first, we'd have been like, yeah, that's, you know, that's how fickle we are. So he's like, no, this opinionated stuff, this stuff, this, these things outside of the counsel of my word that I have given you, there's going to be room for human error, there's going to be room for human thought, there's going to be room for human opinion. And we've got to work through that. And so it's okay to go and do that, but understand this, unity can never be achieved without truth. Unless we actually have truth. And what do I mean by that? Just like a couple, a couple things. First of all, truth on the foundational word of God. If we sway from that, then I think maybe we've got kind of a problem, right? Because then we're going to probably get away from the actual message, right? Then we're going to get away probably from the actual mission, right? But not just that, also in honesty about where we truly are. You know, whenever somebody pretends to be on board with you, but they actually aren't, they're not really being honest. You know, it's like, well, they were honest with me and I didn't agree with it. No, at least they were honest. Now you can still be on the same page because you know exactly where they're coming from. But without that, there's no way. There might be a perceived unity, but it's not actually unity. There has to be honesty. There has to be truth and on, centered on the truth of God's word. In 1 Peter 3.8, it says this, Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and tender heart, and a humble mind. 
It doesn't mean that they always had the same opinion. It just means that on the things that mattered most, that's what brought unity. That's what they were centered on. And that's what they kept moving forward in. But number four is this. We got to remember who the real enemy is. Because who did he say would not be able to prevail against the kingdom of God that he was coming to build? Was it those people who just think differently? Was it that individual that you don't necessarily agree with, that drives you crazy? That person that you can't stand? He didn't say that. He says the gates of hell, the gates of Hades would not prevail. What he was doing, he was reminding, this is your true enemy. This is what you were truly up against. Not people who think differently than, than you, because people are not the enemy. There's something else that's going on there. And again, we're talking about this, but 1 Peter 5, 8 says this. It says, be sober-minded. In other words, be alert. In other words, in your mind, be clear of thinking. Be watchful. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring, roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He says, he is your enemy. And there's nothing that unites a people more than a common enemy, right? Whenever yeah, you realize, you know, who's, who's against you, understand he's also against them. He's also against them and them and them and them. Oh, even that person that has a different opinion on, on this one thing? No, no, no. Our common enemy is Satan and what he wants to do. He wants to see the church fall. And if he can distract us from the mission, if he can distract us from the message, if he can distract us by, you know, some sense of conflict from not being unified on things that are not actually the main thing and things that maybe we got to work through, but we're taking a really long time to do so, or we're not willing to let go of, or we're not willing to forgive, where we're not willing to actually maybe be sober-minded about and actually maybe be humble in, in spirit about. He says, I've got them. They're not actively supporting me in my mission as Satan, but they're not about the mission. That's a win. That's a win in my book. Look how messed up they are. That's what he's aiming for, just to get us off, off track. And nobody else is doing that. So there's nothing stronger than an enemy that can go undetected. Whenever we're unaware of who our enemy really is, then he can just come in and do as he wishes. So if Ephesians 6.12 says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers of, over this present age and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So even whenever we look at society, even whenever we look at culture, yes, those people out there that don't know Jesus, are they our, our enemy? No. He's saying, those are the people I want to build a part of my kingdom. We need to go reach them. What they believe, I do not agree with. What they believe will keep people separated. That's what they believe. But those people I care about, those people I love, those people need to be a part of my kingdom. Everything else is outside of that. Those people are not our, our enemy, regardless of what they do. Well, they're wrong. Yes, they are wrong, but they are not our enemy. But they're even saying things against the church. It doesn't matter. They're lost. They don't know what they're saying. Do you actually expect somebody who doesn't know Jesus to support Jesus? Why are we surprised by that? That's why they need Jesus, right? But if we understand who the enemy really is, we're like, you know what? Yeah, what they're saying is absolutely wrong. 
but we can still reach them. The Apostle Paul, breathing threats against the church, killing Christians. He came to know Christ. He came to be a part of it and be a part of what God was doing. So people are not our enemies. We may not agree with what they believe or think, but they are not our enemy. In John 13, 35, whenever it comes to people within the church, this needs to be our focus. By this, all people, including those people outside the church walls and even inside the church walls, will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Not the same opinion about every little thing, but actually love for one another. That'll prove that God is present in our hearts and in our lives. Prove that we can also, also be centered upon the mission that he's called us to that is completely unchanging, regardless of what else is going on. And keep him at the forefront of everything. That even if we have different preferences, or even if we worship in different places, we can still love each other. So the last two things I just want to just kind of close with, just these couple thoughts as far as our duty and what it means for us to be able to maneuver throughout, you know, fulfilling this, this mission, actually being a part of what, of what he has for us. We are actually the building that he's come to build. That's weird to kind of think about, but that's actually, we are who he's come to build. But in a kind of a crazy way, we're also the chosen tools that he's chosen for the job. Now, every analogy breaks down, right? <laughs> you know? So there's no way. It's like that doesn't even make sense that those two things could coexist, and yet they do. We're part of the, the instruments that he uses, but we're also the people that he's chosen and the people that he's reached. But then the warning is this. A tool that remains broken runs the risk of not being used in the builder's work. Are there biblical examples of God using broken people to do his work? Absolutely. Did they remain broken? Nope. Those are the exceptions. And in fact, he used them in spite of themselves, not because they were broken. You know that, right? That was to give him glory. But he says, I want you, Moses, to put yourself back together so I can use you in a great way. I want you, Paul, broken, to put yourself back together. I want you, Peter, I know there's strife between you and Paul in this situation. You've got a difference of opinions of the way things ought to be. You need to get yourself back together so this mission can be completed. And we've got to do the same thing. Not just because of what's going on currently, just all the time, right? All the time. It's always the case. Every single Sunday. No matter what's going on. So has it changed? Has anything changed? No. The mission's not changed. The message, has the message changed at all? No. Has our part in the work changed in any way? Absolutely not. So let's, as best we can, in whatever time we need to take to make it happen, get and be united, put ourselves back together, Let's move forward around the main things because that's what he's looking for. Because I don't know about you, I want to make sure that I'm a part of the work and I don't want him to use me in spite of me. I want him to use me because I got myself by his strength, obviously, 
this is, that's, that's, that's the context. I'm not doing this work on, on my own. I can't fix myself, technically, right? None of us can. But his spirit working in me, humbling me and teaching me and showing me, I can put those pieces back together and make myself a usable instrument for his mission. We not just do that individually. We need to do that as a church every week, just as we've done every other week. The challenges might be different. The pieces might be broken in a different way, but we can do it. Now let's do it together. So, with that in mind, what is in your heart? What is it that are just, what pieces have fallen by the wayside? What things need to get put back together in order for you to be the instrument that God can use? Not in spite of, but because. What, is, what decisions do you need to make outside of anything that's going on here within our church? Because you do realize, no matter what's going on within our church, there's somebody who walked in here this morning, that's not their biggest concern. It's that cancer di- diagnosis. It's that thing that's going on between their family. It's that other thing that's actually happening, that thing that, that's so much bigger in their lives. And they need something else too. So, What's going on in your life that might be holding you back from being a part of what God wants to do in, in your life in order to make you a part of his work? Just think about that and just ask this morning, just say, God, work in my heart, humble me. Help me, God, to be a part of unity, but then also to examine my own heart and to make sure, am I truly usable for your mission? That's something that you've got to answer. I can't, I can't do that for you. I can't even throw out enough scenarios to make you think enough. Ask God to show you. And let's make some decisions this morning. So obviously this altar is going to be open, but you know, if you need to talk to somebody, if you need to go have conversations with somebody, if you need to just have counsel, you need somebody to pray with you, all that stuff is available this morning. But even, you know, even after this service, just allow God to speak and don't hesitate to do business with God. So please go and stand, and let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. And we'll sing together. <coughs> Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for this morning. Thank you, God, that your word shows us what we truly need to be about. And sometimes we complicate it. Sometimes we make it way more complicated than what it really is. Because we've got opinions about everything. But God, if our opinions don't match up with your word they're wrong. If our opinions conflict with the truth of your word, they're wrong. But if we have an opinion and your word does not speak against it, we're entitled to it. But just help us, God, to navigate. Just because somebody else doesn't agree with it doesn't mean that they're wrong either. Help us, God, to have unity in the spirit because whenever we do that, we understand we're unified around the main thing, the unchanging thing, the thing that we don't get to mess with. That's your message. The thing that we don't get to mess with, that's your mission. So unify us around those things. And then through that, we can love each other. Through that, we can be a part of working together. Because then we'll at least want to see the main thing happen. Even if we have to work through agreeing how that needs to happen. The methodologies. And all that other stuff. That's secondary work in our hearts, but then also too, God, if there's anybody here this morning that just needs a fresh word and encouragement, God, that they need to make a decision for you, that maybe they're not a part 
of that kingdom, God. I pray if somebody needs to come to know you as Lord and Savior this morning, that they can be a part of that building. They can be a part of that gathering. I pray they would make that decision this morning. I pray that if somebody is a part of that gathering, maybe they've not been as close to you as they need to be, and they need to make sure that they are in a place where you can use them in a great and mighty way, not in spite of themselves, but because they are working towards a closer relationship with you. And this morning, they're going to make that decision to take that next step, to come back to you, whatever the case is. God, I pray you would work in that heart as well. Thank you, God, for your spirit. Just work in our hearts this morning. pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.